Chapter 79 of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume 3, Part 1, by Alexander Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Malicorne and Manicamp The introduction of these two new personages into this history, and that mysterious affinity of names and sentiments, merits some attention on the part of both historian and reader. We will then enter into some details concerning Messrs. Malicorne and Manicamp. Malicorne, we know, had made the journey to Orléans in search of the brevet destined for Mademoiselle de Montalais, the arrival of which had produced such a strong feeling at the castle of Blois. At that moment, Monsieur de Manicamp was at Orléans. A singular person was this Monsieur de Manicamp, a very intelligent young fellow, always poor, always needy, although he dipped his hand freely into the purse of Monsieur le Comte de Guiche, one of the best furnished purses of the period. Monsieur le Comte de Guiche had had, as the companion of his boyhood, this de Manicamp, a poor gentleman, vassal born of the house of Grammont. Monsieur de Manicamp, with his tact and talent, had created himself a revenue in the opulent family of the celebrated Marechal. From his infancy he had, with calculation beyond his age, lent his name and complacence to the follies of the Comte de Guiche. If this noble companion had stolen some fruit destined for Madame de la Marechale, if he had broken a mirror or put out a dog's eye, Manicamp declared himself guilty of the crime committed and received the punishment, which was not made the milder for falling on the innocent. But this was the way this system of abnegation was paid for. Instead of wearing such mean habiliments as his paternal fortunes entitled him to, he was able to appear brilliant, superb, like a young noble of fifty thousand livres a year. It was not that he was mean in character or humble in spirit, no. He was a philosopher, or rather he had the indifference, the apathy, the obstinacy which banished from man every sentiment of the supernatural. His sole ambition was to spend money. But in this respect, the worthy Monsieur de Manicamp was a gulf. Three or four times every year he drained the Comte de Guiche, and when the Comte de Guiche was thoroughly drained, when he had turned out his pockets and his purse before him, when he declared that it would be at least a fortnight before paternal munificence would refill those pockets and that purse, Manicamp lost all his energy. He went to bed, remained there, ate nothing, and sold his handsome clothes under the pretense that, remaining in bed, he did not want them. During this prostration of mind and strength, the purse of the Comte de Guiche was getting full again and when once filled, overflowed into that of de Manicamp, who bought new clothes, dressed himself again, and recommenced the same life he had followed before. The mania of selling his new clothes for a quarter of what they were worth had rendered our heroes sufficiently celebrated in Orléans, a city where, in general, we should be puzzled to say why he came to pass his days of penitence. Provincial debauches, petit maitre of six hundred livres a year, shared the fragments of his opulence. Among the admirers of these splendid toilets, our friend Malicorne was conspicuous. He was the son of a syndic of the city, of whom Monsieur de Conde, always needy as a de Conde, often borrowed money at enormous interest. Monsieur Malicorne kept the paternal money chest, that is to say, that in those times of easy morals he had made for himself by following the example of his father and lending at high interest for short terms a revenue of eighteen hundred livres, without reckoning six hundred livres furnished by the generosity of the syndic, so that Malicorne was the king of the gay youth of Orléans, 
having 2,400 livres to scatter, squander and waste on follies of every kind. But, quite contrary to Manicamp, Malicorn was terribly ambitious. He loved from ambition, he spent money out of ambition, and he would have ruined himself for ambition. Malicorn had determined to rise at whatever price it might cost, and for this, at whatever price it did cost, he had given himself a mistress and a friend. The mistress, Mademoiselle de Montalais, was cruel as regarded love, but she was of a noble family, and that was sufficient for Malicorn. The friend had little or no friendship, but he was the favorite of the Comte de Guiche, himself the friend of Monsieur, the king's brother, and that was sufficient for Malicorn. Only, in the chapter of charges, Mademoiselle de Montalais cost per annum ribbons, gloves, and sweets a thousand livres. The Manicamp cost, money lent, never returned, from twelve to fifteen hundred livres per annum, so that there was nothing left for Malicorn. <laughs> yes, we are mistaken. There was left the paternal strong box. He employed a mode of proceeding upon which he preserved the most profound secrecy, and which consisted in advancing to himself, from the coffers of the syndic, half a dozen years' profits, that is to say, fifteen thousand livres, swearing to himself, observe quite to himself, to repay this deficiency as soon as an opportunity should present itself. The opportunity was expected to be the concession of a good post in the household of Monsieur, when that household would be established at the period of his marriage. This juncture had arrived, and the household was about to be established. A good post in the family of a prince of the blood, when it is given by the credit and on the recommendation of a friend like the Comte de Guiche, is worth at least twelve thousand livres per annum, and by the means which Monsieur Malicorne had taken to make his revenues fructify, twelve thousand livres might rise to twenty thousand. Then, when once an incumbent of this post, he would marry Mademoiselle de Montalais. Mademoiselle de Montalais, of a half-noble family, not only would be dowered, but would ennoble Malicorne. But, in order that Mademoiselle de Montalais, who had not a large patrimonial fortune, although an only daughter, should be suitably dowered, it was necessary that she should belong to some great princess, as prodigal as the dowager madame was covetous. And, in order that the wife should not be of one party whilst the husband belonged to the other, a situation which presents serious inconveniences, particularly with characters like those of the future consorts. Malicorne had imagined the idea of making the central point of union the household of Monsieur, the king's brother. Mademoiselle de Montalais would be maid of honor to Madame. Monsieur Malicorne would be officer to Monsieur. It is plain the plan was formed by a clear head. It is plain also that it had been bravely executed. Malicorne had asked Manicamp to ask a brevet of maid of honor of the Comte de Guiche, and the Comte de Guiche had asked this brevet of Monsieur, who had signed it without hesitation. The constructive plan of Malicorne, for we may well suppose that the combinations of a mind as active as his were not confined to the present but extended to the future, the constructive plan of Malicorne, we say, was this. To obtain entrance into the household of Madame Henrietta for a woman devoted to himself, who was intelligent, young, handsome, and intriguing, to learn by means of this woman all the feminine secrets of the young household, whilst he, Malicorne, and his friend Manicamp should, between them, know all the male secrets of the young community. It was by these means that a rapid and splendid fortune might be acquired at one and the same time. 
Malicorn was a vile name. He who bore it had too much wit to conceal this truth from himself. But an estate might be purchased, and Malicorn of some place, or even de Malicorn itself for short, would ring more nobly on the ear. It was not improbable that a most aristocratic origin might be hunted up by the heralds for this name of Malicorn. Might it not come from some estate where a bull with mortal horns had caused some great misfortune and baptized the soil with the blood it had spilt? Certes, this plan presented itself bristling with difficulties, but the greatest of all was Mademoiselle de Montalais herself. Capricious, variable, close, giddy, free, prudish, a virgin armed with claws, arrogany stained with grapes, she sometimes overturned, with a single dash of her white fingers, or with a single puff from her laughing lips, the edifice which had exhausted Malicorne's patience for a month. Love apart, Malicorne was happy, but this love, which he could not help feeling, he had the strength to conceal with care. Persuaded that at the less relaxing of the ties by which he had bound his protean female, the demon would overthrow him and laugh at him. He humbled his mistress by disdaining her. Burning with desire when she advanced to tempt him, he had the art to appear ice, persuaded that if he opened his arms she would run away laughing at him. On her side, Montalais believed she did not love Malicorne, whilst, on the contrary, in reality she did. Malicorne repeated to her so often his protestation of indifference that she finished sometimes by believing him, and then she believed she detested Malicorne. If she tried to bring him back by coquetry, Malicorne played the coquette better than she could. But what made Montalais hold to Malicorne in an indissoluble fashion was that Malicorne always came cram-full of fresh news from the court and the city. Malicorne always brought to Blois a fashion, a secret, or a perfume that Malicorne never asked for a meeting, but, on the contrary, required to be supplicated to receive the favors he burned to obtain. On her side, Montalais was no miser with stories. By her means, Malicorne learnt all that passed at Blois, in the family of the dowager Madame, and he related to Manicamp tales that made him ready to die with laughing, which the latter out of idleness took ready-made to Monsieur de Guiche, who carried them to Monsieur. Such, in two words, was the woof of petty interests, and petty conspiracies which united Blois with Orléans, and Orléans with Paris, and which was about to bring into the last-named city, where she was to produce so great a revolution, the poor little La Valliere, who was far from suspecting as she returned joyfully, leaning on the arm of her mother, for what a strange future she was reserved. As to the good man, Malicorne, we speak of the syndic of Orléans, he did not see more clearly into the present than others did into the future, and had no suspicion as he walked every day, between three and five o'clock after his dinner, upon the Place St. Catherine, in his great coat, cut after the fashion of Louis Thirteenth, and his cloth shoes with great knots of ribbon, that it was he who was paying for all those bursts of laughter, all those stolen kisses, all those whisperings all those little keepsakes and all those bubble projects which formed a chain of forty-five leagues in length from the palais of blois to the palais royal end of chapter seventy nine recording by john van stan savannah georgia